Thank you, Corey. Thank you, musicians. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. And while you're turning there, I'm going to tell you a little interesting story. In the late 1950s, there was a steakhouse in Tennessee called Little Thompson's. And they were going to do, some of you that are older, you'll know who I'm speaking of. Some of you that are younger may not. Elvis Presley. Everybody heard of Elvis Presley? Okay. They were doing an Elvis Presley impersonation contest. Again, 1950s. But Elvis heard about it and decided to show up at this little, because it was one of his favorite restaurants. But he hid in the back with his entourage. He didn't tell anybody that he was there. He decided that he would just be low key. But during the course of events, he decided he was going to go sing the song, Love Me Tender. Remember that song from Elvis? He finished in third place. They didn't recognize the real thing. They thought some other people did a better job of being Elvis than Elvis himself. They didn't even recognize Elvis, the real Elvis Presley. Now, I want you to keep that in mind as we go through the text today. We're going to look at a short passage of Scripture. It's in Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 through 58. Let's read them together. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Verse 57, and they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Here's the question we want to pose today. Do you recognize Jesus Christ? Or better, how have you responded to Jesus Christ with what you know? Now let's just kind of do a little context here. In this chapter, in Matthew chapter 13 and other parts of the Bible, our Lord is teaching through the uh, teaching tool of parables where he's uh, revealing truths to people. Erwin Lutzer says that Jesus used parables for this reason. It's concealing the truth from those that don't want to hear, but it's revealing the truth to those that do want to hear. So we want to have ears to hear to be able to see what our Lord's teaching. So he's using these teaching tools of parables to explain his message and to explain who he is. And when he comes to the end of these parables, he gives this section of scripture where he's explaining to them about himself. So the first point, if you're following along in your outline, is this. The amazement at Christ's parables. Let's read this again. When Jesus is teaching, coming to his hometown of Nazareth, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. They are amazed at his teaching. Where did this man get this wisdom, and where did this man get these miraculous powers? Notice what they're saying. When Jesus was teaching, there were two characteristics of his teaching. They heard the wisdom of God, and they saw the power of God. All because of what Christ's teachings revealed. These are the same teachings that we have today. So when we hear the parables of Jesus or the teachings of Jesus, we need to listen for the wisdom of God and the power of God. And if we're not getting the wisdom of God or the power of God, perhaps we're focusing too much on the teacher rather than the teaching, which is a trap the church falls into very easily. We like to make celebrities out of preachers. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, some say, I follow Paul. Others say, I follow Apollos. Some say, I follow Cephas. And some say, I follow Christ. We don't pick 
teachers that we like to follow. It's the teaching that matters because in the teaching is potential for life change. In Christ's teaching is the wisdom of God and the power of God. So we got to take special attention when we neglect the teachings of Jesus, we neglect the wisdom of God and the power of God. And there are replacements for the things that we're amazed by. When's the last time you were amazed by the teachings of Jesus? When they heard Jesus teach, something set them off and they were amazed. And it's not just here. You see it in other parts of Scripture as well. For example, in John chapter 7, verse 14 through 18, Jesus went up to the feast and they were amazed. And they said, how did this man get such learning without having studied? In Mark chapter 1, verse 22, it says... The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as their own teachers of the law. In John chapter 7, they said, no one ever spoke the way this man speaks. And the Pharisees said, you mean he's deceived you also? So you see this characteristic over and over and over again about the teachings of Jesus. When you hear the teachings of Jesus, the conclusion must be, that's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. There's something different about the teachings of Christ from other teachings of men. And it's the wisdom and the power of God. Jesus combines the wisdom and power of God in Matthew chapter 9 when they bring to him a paralytic. Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At at this, some of the teachers of the law said, this fellow is blaspheming. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your, hife, in your hearts? But that you might know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, I say to you, get up. You see the wisdom and the power of God together. Now, most of us come in here today, came in here today with some picture of who Jesus is. The first foundational truth I want to lay before you today is that when we see or hear the teachings of Jesus, our response should be amazed. And and if we're not amazed, we need to back up and remember that our God is amazing. Uh, We allow the circumstances of life to overcome the amazing Jesus that we get to serve. And if you pay attention, you'll see Jesus still is amazing even to this day. Let me give you an illustration. When you're a pastor you look for illustrations all the time. And when you preach two, three times a week, like I do, sometimes more, sometimes less, but overall it's just a lifestyle. You're just constantly looking for illustrations. Every now and then you will just run into an obstacle. You'll just be, you'll you'll run into a difficult one. And this was one of those for me. When I was trying to find an illustration on how amazing Jesus is, you'd think it would be easy because those kind of illustrations are all around us. But for whatever reason, I was just stumbling. I began to pray, Lord, I need an illustration here. I mean, this is going into yesterday. And I'm sitting up here in my office going, Lord, I pray about illustrations that they would really be real. And, and here's the cool thing. All of a sudden, within a matter of seconds, my wife calls me on the phone. Now, she doesn't know I'm praying for an illustration. She calls me up and says, hey, can I give you an illustration? Oh, Okay. The spiritual antenna are up, okay? Why, sure, honey. You know, there's a preacher in the church and there's a preacher at home, you know what I'm saying? And she's a very godly girl and she says, I want to give you an illustration. Have you heard this story? I said, no, tell me. And here's what she told me. Last week, June the 11th, a guy by the name of Michael Packard was set to dive 
for lobsters off the coast of Cape Cod. Have you saw this, seen this story? This guy is a diver and he's looking for lobsters off the coast of Cape Cod. He was 45 feet under the water on his second dive and he noticed that he's suddenly surrounded by sand lance and stripers. Sand lances are small fish like eels. He was 35 feet under the water, 10 feet from the bottom when all of a sudden he said, I felt this huge shove and the next thing I know it was completely black. He didn't know what had happened, though he thought he had been attacked by a great white shark. When he realized that he was inside of a fish, it was not a great white shark because there was no teeth. He realized he was inside the belly of a humpback whale. Okay? He said, I could sense that I was moving and could feel the whale squeezing with the muscles of his mouth. At this, the 56-year-old Packard thought he must be in the mouth of a, of a different animal, but he realized where he was he said, everything was completely black, and I said to myself, I'm done, I'm dead, I'm in the belly of a fish. All he could think about was his two sons, ages 12 and 15. Isn't it amazing what you think about when death is imminent? He struggled inside the nearly 35-foot-long humpback, and the whale itself was not pleased that this intruder was in its belly. So starting to shake its head back and forth, the whale spit Michael Packard out of its mouth, after 30 seconds in the belly. And his partner, Joe Francis, saw this guy come flying out of the water feet first. And he was rescued. All he had was some severe soft tissue damage. Now, do you believe that? Every liberal theologian got mad and had to rewrite their books on Job. Okay? Or, excuse me, Jonah. Because Jonah was in the belly of a whale. And here's a guy, just a week ago, who's in the belly of a whale gets spit out, and his buddy's in the, in, the, in the boat going, I see feet coming up, and it's his friend who just had a little vacation in the belly of a whale. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing my wife called me on the phone to tell me about that illustration? And I just, I just paused for a second, and I said, God, you are amazing. Here, here you give an illustration to a preacher who's just praying for an illustration through my bride, and it's just a really cool illustration, and I would go ahead and encourage you to look it up. Here, here's the point. We serve an amazing God who still does amazing things. And he does it through his word. And if you're not amazed by God or amazed by his word, your life will be the opposite of amazing. It'll be boring. It'll be dull. And you'll be looking for something to replace the amazing that God puts in our lives. So if you're in here today and your life lacks amazing, you've got to get back to the teachings of Jesus Christ and see God's wisdom, see God's power. When you see God's wisdom and when you see God's power, you'll see him move in your life. It starts with your heart. It starts with your mindset. But if we allow the circumstances of life, the pain of life, to crowd out the amazement of God, we're going to be disgruntled. And we're going to feel like we're in the belly of a whale. And everything will be dark. And we'll be looking for God's exit strategy. And when God has exit strategies, they're a whole lot different from us. I saw this little illustration about a, an older lady named Bess. She was suffering from dementia. And it had stolen basically her life. And she could really not talk anymore, except she had one word that she would use over and over again to every situation that came into her life. You know what that word was? Amazing. 
When things were bad, amazing. When things were good, amazing. That's a wonderful word for Christians to realize. We just don't sing the song Amazing Grace. We recognize that we have an amazing God who leads us through amazing circumstances, and we have a constant mindset of God is amazing. So when we look at this text, the first thing we see is the amazing aspect of Christ's parables of God's activity in our lives. We can't go any farther until you get this down. Do you think the Lord is amazing? You got to just not give lip service to that. It's a conviction of your heart. You know, you might have gone a long time without seeing God's amazing activity in your life. It doesn't change the fact that God's amazing. He's still very amazing, even though you may not have seen it. Point number two, the arguments against Christ's person. Now we're starting to see why we don't see a lot of amazing in our lives. Look what it says in verse 55. Wait a minute. We're amazed at his teachings. We see God's wisdom and power, but there's always a, a but. There's always a reason why we can't believe in the amazing or the teachings of Christ. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Why then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, only in his hometown in his own house is a prophet without honor. Now, now, why don't you see what's going on here? What was Jesus' hometown? Nazareth. Scholars tell us that the town of Nazareth was about 500 people. We, we sometimes forget that Jesus walked on this earth for 30 years before he began his public ministry. And Nazareth was his hometown. In the wisdom and the power of God, he did not reveal his son until 30 years after he walked on this earth. You know, you got to think about it a second. We see the incarnation at Christmas. We see the cross at Easter. But we don't see a whole lot about the first 30 years of our Lord's life, save a, perhaps a story about when he was 12 and he was at the temple and his parents had walked away. Uh, there's not much there. Well, the Bible tells us that he was sinless. The Bible tells us in Mark 6 he was a carpenter. His dad was a carpenter. He was a carpenter's son. He lived a sinless, perfect life for 30 years, and we don't hear much about it because God is in the business of preparing the world for his son. God loves preparation. We like promotion. God loves preparation. In fact, I could say it to you like this. We pray, God prepares, then he promotes. Many of us want the promotion without the prayer and without the preparation, but God is in the business of preparing. And you've heard me say this before. He says, Moses, I want you to go back in the wilderness for 40 years. Let's, let's do some preparation there. David, I want Saul to chase you through the caves for 13 and a half years. Joseph, I want you to spend some time in prison. That's your seminary. You're going to be in prison preparation for the ministry that I have for you. Now, they were sinners. Our Lord's not a sinner. And yet our Lord still walked on this earth for 30 years before he began his public ministry. And that's why these guys are saying, no, wait a minute. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mom Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? By the way, James wrote the book of James. Judas wrote the book of Jude. Aren't all his sisters with us? Now, they're saying, we saw this guy for all these years. Where in the world did he get all these things? <laughs> they were surprised. Anybody ever have a surprise birthday party? Sure you did. If you didn't, I hope you have one one day. But you remember the time that you were surprised? God loves to surprise his children. Because he doesn't have to explain things to us. He doesn't explain things to these people. This is my plan. This is how I choose to reveal it. Will you accept it? And they're sitting there going, man, I've watched this guy for 30. I mean, think of it like this. 
Nazareth was a little bigger than Yatesville. Can you imagine the Savior of the world coming from Yatesville? Yes! Because God uses small things to achieve big things. We feel like we need to go to a big church to see God move. Wait a minute. God's not limited. God can move in any situation of life. He chooses Nazareth, a small town, as the place to send his Savior, his Messiah, into the world. You don't got to go find God. God knows where you are. How big is your God? And he's bringing about a surprise, but they come to the wrong conclusion here. Notice what's going on. They're saying, how does he get these things? And they took offense at him. Now, the word offense there is the word scandalon. Okay? You could say it like this. They stumbled over Jesus because they knew that he was from Nazareth. They stumbled over him. Notice what's in your notes. They were offended when they realized he was one of them. We know his family. How could this common man have this uncommon wisdom and power? He's no better than us. You know, you know what I think part of it is? They're jealous. There, there's something in the heart of each and every one of us that doesn't like it when somebody succeeds. There's something in each and every one of us that doesn't like it when somebody else does well. In fact, the old saying goes like this. We'd rather bring them down to our level than us going to their level. That's where accusations and complaints come from. Jesus didn't take any shortcuts. We like to take shortcuts. God says, no, well, I'm going to reveal my Messiah, my Savior to the world. This is the way I'm going to do it. Jesus wasn't prepared because he had to get out of sin. Jesus was prepared for us to be ready to accept him when he came. It's absolutely fascinating. They took offense at him because of his wisdom and his power. That's not the response that we need to have. And yet some of us today, we just have different opinions about the Lord. You ever talk to somebody that is, they don't know the teachings of Jesus? But they'll tell you everything about God. They're the smartest person on the planet when it comes to God. Now, they don't know one thing about the Bible. They don't know one thing about Jesus. But man, they are a Ph.D. in religion and spiritual things. And it's not just outside of the church, it's inside of the church as well. Sadly, sometimes from the pulpit. Uh, there's a preacher in New Jersey, I won't say his name, but he denies the deity of Jesus Christ, denies the virgin birth, denies the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Excuse me, what do you got to preach? This book is what we preach. There's something amazing about Jesus Christ. And if you're not amazed by him, something's wrong, either with the message that's coming through or the messenger that's given it. Proper preaching should lead us to be amazed by Jesus Christ. This is absolutely amazing that God would choose to hide his son, if you will, for 30 years in a really, really small town. And then they're just kind of ignorant of the fact that this one that's walked, that's walked among them is wise and powerful. And we form an opinion. We think, well, God waited too long. We come up with all these terrible opinions. Do you know that some of our spiritual opinions that are contrary to Scripture are foolishness? Has anybody ever had a bad opinion before? I'm the only one raising my hand because I've had them. We fall short of the wisdom and power. You want wisdom? Here's where it comes from. James tells us, the half-brother of our Lord, he says, look, if you want wisdom, ask God for it. But get in the book. Wisdom is the art of living skillfully. It's making wise and good decisions. And if you don't want to make wise and good decisions, stay away from the book. 
But, but if you want to make wise and good decisions and one of God's children, be amazed by the wisdom and power of God that are found in this thing. I saw some opinions that people have had over the years. L listen to some of these. Back, back in 1926, Lee DeForest, the inventor of the cathode ray tube, said, theoretically, television may be feasible, but I consider it an impossibility, a development which we should waste little time dreaming about. <laughs> In 1926, there'll never be anything called TV. That was his opinion. Thomas J. Watson, CEO of IBM in 1943 said, I think there's a world market for about five computers. Five. Ouch. Bad opinion, chairman of IBM. A recording company expert said in 1962, we don't think the Beatles will do anything in their market. Guitar groups are on their way out. Ouch, bad opinion. And one of my favorites in a book by James Emery White, on January the 31st, 1829, Governor Martin Van Buren of New York wrote a letter to the President of the United States, Andrew Jackson. As you know, Mr. President, railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles an hour by engines, which roar and snort their way through the countryside, scaring livestock and frightening women and children. The Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speeds. 15 miles an hour. Opinions. The opinions that they held at the time, they thought were so brilliant, we're going to espouse our wisdom for the world. But they were wrong. They were wrong. And the opinions that you and I hold about Jesus Christ, if they are contrary to Scripture, are wrong. They took offense. They stumbled over the truth claims of Jesus Christ. They were wrong. You see, here's what they were doing. It's the same thing you and I do. Now watch this. If you had a scale up here, here's what we're doing. Same thing they were doing. Okay? They elevate their wisdom and weaken God's wisdom instead of elevating God's wisdom and not depending on their wisdom. We elevate our opinions over the word of God because we think we're so smart, because it sounds so good, but in actuality, it makes us look good. You know, that, that's a cutting edge thinker right there. That Pastor Jeff, he's something else. You should listen to him. We like the praise of men. We want the wisdom of God and the changeless, unchangeable truths of Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because our Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we see the, the parables of Jesus that are amazing to us. We see our arguments against Christ's person. Do you let Jesus tell us who he is? We don't get to decide that for ourselves. Point number three, the absence of Christ's power. Here's what happens when you elevate your wisdom and depreciate Christ's wisdom. You're not going to see Jesus' activity in your midst. Look what it says in verse 57. But Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Now notice what, I love what John MacArthur says about this phrase. This is an ancient proverb paralleling the modern saying, familiarity breeds contempt. They knew Jesus too well as a boy and a young man from their own town, and they concluded that he was nothing special. Verse 58 gives the sad result. Familiarity breeds contempt. They settled with what they knew about Jesus rather than going deeper. They had a little bit of truth and a little bit of opinion. They kind of mixed it together and say, that's enough. And you hang around somebody long enough, hopefully outside of your marriage, familiarity breeds contempt. They're saying in his hometown, this prophet was without honor. 
And here's the result of that. And he did not do many miracles there, no healings because of their lack of faith. They didn't believe in Jesus to do anything. And they didn't see God's activity in their midst. Listen, we don't have faith for something to happen. Faith must have an object. Our faith is in our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Whatever situation we walk through, whether it's good or bad, our faith is on him, period. We trust that God is taking us the direction that he wants us to go, period. Our God's big. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows what's going on. Do you trust him? Do you have faith that he can move mountains? Daniel had that faith in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, look, if this is it, this is it. But my faith is in the Lord. I'm standing right here. They didn't have that kind of faith. They were depending on their opinions. And because they didn't have that kind of faith, they didn't see a whole lot of God's activity in their midst. When we depend on our opinions, God's not impressed. God is looking for somebody that will take him at his word and trust him and leave the results to him. What a mighty God we serve. I saw this cute little illustration. Maybe this will help. There's a guy by the name of Ted Seymour who was a teenager and a ruffian in a street gang in London in 1953. When he was 15 years old, an evangelist came through town named Charles Kingston. Remember the old tent revivals? We still do them today. They're, they're rare, but they still happen. One night, this teenager, Ted, and some of his bunnies, buddies decided they were going to go ahead and mess up the evangelistic meeting. What they were going to do is they were going to go around the tent and pull up the tent stakes, mischievous teenagers, and then the tent would fall on everybody that was there. Really cute idea, right? Hey, let's get together and just ruin this meeting. The problem was they had security at the meeting and they were caught in the act. But instead of being taken to the police station, the boys had to go listen to the preacher preach. So when they went in there, there were two signs in the evangelistic meeting. The first said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that her believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the other one was from Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And those were the messages, the themes of the preacher's sermon that night. He preached on repentance. And as that young Ted heard the preacher preached, he realized that Jesus Christ died for him, that he was a sinner, and he needed to get saved. And he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He's a 15-year-old boy. After that time, Ted Seymour devoted a half century of his life to serving God around the world. All because of a, an attempt to ruin an evangelistic ministry. God in his wisdom, God in his power, changed a young boy's life at 15. And that young boy made a difference for Jesus throughout the rest of the world. Only God could do something like that. Only God's wisdom and power can do something like that. And yet we have our opinions. No, I know, I know his background. I know his, his brothers, his sisters, things like that. We, we come up with all these excuses as to who Jesus isn't rather than who he is. He is a life changer. If you'll let him. He can turn your life 180 if you'll let him. He could do no miracles there because they refused to believe who he said he was. Are you amazed by Jesus? Are you amazed by his teaching? 
The other day I just got down on my knees and I started to pray. And I had that old song that came into my mind, what a mighty God we serve. I'm not going to sing, I'll ruin the sermon. But those words came to my mind and I just was overwhelmed with the absolute goodness of God. It seems like there are two trains in the Christian world these days. One train is running out of the kingdom. We got folks dropping like flies left and right, leaving Jesus. And the other train's going to Jesus. Lord, I, I don't know what's going through my life right now. I don't know what's going on, but I am going to you. My faith is in you. I'm running to you. Whatever you have for me, you're my Lord. You're my Savior. I am yours. Whatever may come. That, my friends, is the kind of faith God is looking for. And when you have faith like that, God is working, even though you may not see it right now. God is moving. And God will achieve his purposes for a heart that's yielded to him. So, are you amazed by the wisdom and power of Christ's teachings? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or are you allowing the obstacle, the opinion, I know his brothers, I know his sisters, to keep you from running to Jesus? This can't be true, preacher Jeff. We live in a modern world. We have all this technology. What you're saying can't be true. It's true because the one who said it is the Alpha and the Omega of our faith. His name is Jesus. He's amazing. Someone's once said that the gospel is so amazing because a little child could understand it. And the most brilliant theologian is just scratching the surface as to who Jesus Christ is. He's amazing. Have you concluded that Jesus is amazing? I hope so. It's an eternal decision. Heaven and hell rests on your decision. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you are a good and holy God. Lord, I humble myself before you today. I, I pray that your spirit took your word and uh, touched each and every heart here and that you touched every heart as only you can. Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray in Jesus' name that you will speak to their heart even now. Perhaps some have pushed you back and have tried to take the mantle of control of their lives and you're calling them to yourself. Father, it's my heart's desire that you would achieve the work that you want to achieve today that you might receive the glory and the honor. And I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. During this time of invitation, if God has spoken to your heart about becoming a Christian, you want to know more about Jesus, you come. Perhaps God's told you to become part of this church family. You'll be obedient to that. Perhaps you're going through a difficult situation right now. And the only thing you need to do right now is just say, Lord, my eyes are on you, not the problem. My trust is in you. I give you my heart. Whatever your decision, if you want to come to the front, I'll be here to pray with you. Let's all stand together. You go.